Amen. I want to begin today by saying thank you for allowing me to be a part of your camp. It's been a joy. I want to uh, I want to challenge us today. As we go, I um, I am I'll be leaving at, immediately afterward to go preach. So I wanted to say thank you and everything now before I rush out of here. But um, yesterday we talked about being made free. One of the benefits of the gospel is that He makes us free. He gave Himself for us to deliver us from this present evil age. He makes us free. And we also talked about how He makes us righteous. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but the righteous one, Christ, who lives in me. And He makes us righteous by His own grace and truth and holiness. Today I want to talk about how He makes us sons and daughters. And um, just as I stand here, the emphasis on being made this way is, is really important for us, I think, to grasp. Yesterday I went to Bismarck to the hospital and um, they wouldn't let me in because of the whole corona thing. I had to wait and so on, and I was trying to visit somebody. And as I sat there, I heard them announce over the loudspeaker, emergency room, emergency room, code blue, code blue. I don't know what that means, but the, 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 the angst in the voice told me it was something pretty critical. And so uh, I stood up and I started looking around and she announced it again. Emergency room, emergency room, code blue, code blue. And then a lady comes running through the, the uh, foyer yelling, she's not breathing, she's not breathing. And I didn't know what was going on. And, and I look out into the, into the doorway and there's a car there and um, it's an SUV, and I was looking, and on the other side, underneath the car, I could see arms and legs just jerking. And as I walked out there, a um, man comes up and says, I couldn't get her, I couldn't save her, I couldn't save her. And he had three boys with him, little children. I don't know if they were boys, little children. And, and as I, I went over to stand uh, across the way, I could see that there was this lady, mid-twenties maybe, and there was another lady, a nurse on top of her, just giving her, just, I couldn't believe how aggressively she was giving CPR. Another lady comes flying out of the ER and jumps on top of this lady and starts breathing into her, and, and you've got all the rest of us just standing there wringing our hands, what do we do, what do we do, what do we do? I don't, know the, I don't know what ended up for that lady. I don't know. But she was helpless and hopeless. She might have even been dead on the ground 10 feet from me. And that's a sobering thing. That's a sobering thing because there is no way to bring life into a dead person by our power. 
by our wisdom. If she was dead, there's not enough money. There's not enough anything. And so I, I went back to the car and I sat down and I said, Amy, I don't really know what to, how to process what just happened. But it made me understand that in a very real way, apart from Christ, we can do nothing. And so the messages that I preached yesterday and the one I'm going to bring to you today, I want to emphasize the reality that if God didn't deliver, there is no deliverance. If God doesn't make us right, if he doesn't justify us, there is no justification. And so the message that, the, that Paul has for the Galatians is you stop trying to be righteous on your own. You stop trying to deliver yourself. You tr stop trying to be God. Paul says there is only one God. And so as we go into Galatians today, I, I want you to think about that because we're gonna be talking about redemption and it's a heavy cost. But we're also going to be talking about the result of redemption. And it is a heavy, heavy truth. Does anybody in here, has anybody in here adopted a child? Adopted children, adopted children? Yes, wonderful, wonderful. That's what Paul talks about today. If you look in chapter four, and you look at verse four, it says this, but, when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, and so you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. We had a, um, one of my elders in Chattanooga had two precious little girls. Uh, he had several children, um, and they adopted two precious little girls from China. And it was, it was really neat as he walked through the process of, of how he became their father. And it started out, I think, watching a video um, and seeing a, a need in China. And I don't know if anybody in here has done any Chinese adoptions, but apparently it takes a long time to go through the process. And um, I mean, I think they were on waiting lists for the first one for a couple of years, and then as they were still waiting, they got on the list again somehow for, and then it was like three or four more years for them to wait. But he was talking to me about the time it took to prepare to bring this child home and how much time they spent um, on the phone, interacting, going through the process. 
he began to talk about the money that it cost, how they had to spend so much money just doing the process, just paying the fees, getting the permits, and then when, when they had the opportunity to go over there in their preliminary thing, the, the cost of the airlines and the hotels and, and the food and, and just all of the costs that went into that, and then they went back home and, and they did more preparing or whatever, and then they had to get checked out and just more and more money that they invested. It was talking about the lifestyle changes that needed to go into him and his wife and his family as they prepared to bring this child home and, and the way they, they changed parts of their home to make it more accessible and, and so on like that. He talked about how hard it was to go through the governmental restrictions in China. There was language barriers. There was also intermediaries that they had to work through and, and they had to do all of this stuff to, to be able to be qualified and to, to find the child and so on. And then he talked about the, the mountains of paperwork for each child that they had to fill out and get notarized and then get copied and sent and lost and redone and, and they went through this whole thing just to be able to find a child. And as he was sharing that, he was talking about the reality of, of the, the enormous investment that he and his wife had in adopting a child. And the thing that really stood out to me was that while he was doing all of this, while he and his wife were spending years preparing and so on, the little girl that they adopted had no idea that this was going on. She had no idea that there was somebody on the other side of the world doing all of this because of her. She was clueless, right? She was too small. She would wake up in the morning and they would shove a bottle in her mouth. I'm sorry, y'all hear that? All right. Shoving a bottle in her mouth, making sure she was covered, making sure that her crying didn't disturb everybody so they would shut her in a room or whatever. She wasn't around anybody. I mean, she was around a bunch of people, but they were all the same age as her. They were all just isolated. The, the people that cared for them didn't, there was no care really. She had no clue. She had no understanding of the situation that was going on. And then one day, my friend and his wife showed up at the orphanage and walked in and were introduced to this little girl. And a couple hours later, they took her back to the hotel room. They provided everything and then some for her. They had gotten her, her tickets and everything. They flew her home to her home and unbeknownst to her, they had taken her from where she was and brought her into their life. And it was such a powerful picture because this little girl had nothing to do with her adoption. Do you understand what I'm saying? She had nothing to do with it. It was all the parents. Everything about the investment, everything about the work, everything about the labor was from the parents 
and she was the beneficiary. That's such a great picture of what the gospel is. That was such a great, because they did this twice. Two times there were little girls who had no idea what was going on, and yet this family was investing their lives to save the life of these children. As we think about that today, and we think about the gospel, let's see Paul speaking this way, because he uses the word redeem. And that has to do with paying a price. It has to do with with investing in the life of, right? That God has done everything to save us, to make us free, to make us right, and now to make us part of his family, Let's look at, in Galatians chapter 4, oh, it's also in Galatians chapter 3. Turn back to Galatians chapter 3. Because in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. This is such an interesting dynamic, and today I I, I want us to look at just a couple of things. If you've got your notes, the first thing I want us to see today is the great redemption, just that great price that God paid. It says that Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. He paid the price that the curse of the law has to extract from us. This is the penalty. We talked about it yesterday, but the wages of sin is death. And everyone has sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And so in a very real way, you and I, sitting in this orphanage, living alone, isolated, not knowing God, not understanding anything, but crying and, 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 and despairing and, and wondering and waiting. And there's this cost that is growing and growing and growing and growing. We cost. And Paul talks about that as being the curse of the law. That every moment of our life, we are accruing more and more debt. More and more we are standing under the curse of the law because we continue to break the law over and over and over. It says in verse 10 of chapter, uh, chapter 3, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law. Cursed be anyone who doesn't abide by all of the things. And so we're gathering and gaining this this debt that we owe. And the word redemption means to buy off. It means to set free by payment of a price. Something that is owed. And the truth of the gospel is this. The truth of the gospel is that we have not been set free by Christ at no cost. 
We have not been set free by Christ by some method that was discounted. We have been delivered. Remember how we talked about the restraint and the bondage of the Egyptian slaves, the Israelites in Egypt? They were completely under the influence and the power of their taskmasters. The Egyptians literally owned them. The Egyptians were the beneficiaries of their labors and their strength. They were slaves. Now in the story of the Exodus, they were slaves because the Egyptians worked to brutally contain them and keep them as slaves. And in the deliverance of the Israelites, God gave up the lives of His creatures, the lambs. There was a cost And God chose to demonstrate to the Israelites the cost of this freedom. He certainly could have snapped his fingers and Egypt would have turned to dust. He could have done anything he wanted to, but as a message to his people throughout eternity, he demonstrates that he will pay the price. And so he created this this Passover celebration in which he gave his creatures, the lambs, he gave their blood for the lives of the firstborn. And this is how he redeemed them as a picture. So that for the rest of the Old Testament and now into the New Testament and then on into the the period of the church and and now you and I can look back into the, the story of Exodus and we can see they were slaves, but God paid a price. And Paul even makes it clear for us as Christians that Jesus Christ was that Passover lamb. That the picture of the Passover, the picture of this redemption is the picture of the cross of Christ. And so the message for you and I is this. In this passage in Galatians, chapter 3 and chapter 4, Israel has become enslaved through their evil works. And their attitudes and their actions are demonstrating that they are in bondage to sin. And now they've come into Galatia and they're trying to enslave the Galatians in the same kind of thing. And Paul is like, no, this isn't how it works. You need to understand you cannot free yourselves. You must be purchased. You must be bought. Sin literally owns them. Sin is their taskmaster. They are completely under its influence and under its authority. Paul describes it in this way in Romans chapter 7. He says, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Talking about the reality of the depravity of his heart. And then he says this. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. This is, this is slavery. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. 
For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. That's the picture of slavery. That's the picture of our heart. Have have you felt that tension? You know you ought to do this, but you don't do it. You know you shouldn't be doing this, and in the middle of doing it, you're like, I shouldn't be, why do I keep doing this? And it brings the tension that Paul cries out at the end of this chapter. He says, oh, who will deliver me from this body of death? This is the picture of the sin. This is the picture of that slavery. But Paul is saying that when Jesus died on the cross, he is paying the wages of sin. And since that's not a price he owed, it's like he throws the entire slave trade into some kind of chaos. Because now there's one who paid the price that he didn't owe. And so it's like he has this credit due him. Listen to me, he's like saying, I own life. I paid the price. And so he redeems us so that he could bless those who have no other dream but slavery. They have no other hope. And so Jesus, behind the scenes, unbeknownst to you and me, this is where the power of Romans 5.8 comes through. God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinning, while we were still bound in the orphanage, while we were unbeknownst and ignorant, rebelling against him, God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. The gospel is that God makes us sons. doesn't just snap his fingers and it happens. He works to provide for our life. It was before your eyes that Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. There's a real truth to this. And I love what it does. I love what it does because it results in the Spirit at work within us. It results in the promise of the Old Testament. One of the greatest covenantal promises was... I will be your God and you will be my people. That's why when Jesus Christ is born and the angel says you shall call him Emmanuel, which is God with us, everything in creation almost just resounds with the glory of hallelujah. Praise God that he has come down to be with man. God with us. And so, this morning as we look at this great redemption, God has done a work. And it says here in verse 13, Christ redeemed us. And in chapter 4, it says this. It says that he was born of woman and born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. And so Christ has done the work of adoption, right? He's done the preliminary. He's done the preparation. He's signed all the paperwork, right? He's already, he's nailed that, that curse to the cross. He declared, it is finished. I have done the work. He's paid the price. 
And in this passage, there's two examples, or these two passages, there's two examples. The first one is in chapter 3, he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And the first example we see here is of the great Redeemer as our substitute. And I mentioned that yesterday. But I want to emphasize it again because I think, I think in my own life, I must see the importance of Christ dying for me because I was under the curse. I had sinned willingly. I had sinned passionately. I had sinned greatly, repetitively, courageously, I sinned blasphemously. I deserved the curse. If anybody in the world deserved to be cursed, it was me. And the wrath of God was revealed from heaven against all my ungodliness and all my unrighteousness. And I deserved the curse. And yet, as I stood before him, rightly, even shaking my fist in his face. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son for me. For me. We were under the curse of the law. We failed to keep it. More than that, we couldn't possibly keep it. Even more than that, we refused to keep it. And yet Jesus Christ redeemed us by becoming that curse. Like we said yesterday, he became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Think of the darkness of your sin this morning. Think of the darkness of your heart and consider the description that Paul gives in Romans 1. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known to, about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. We can see and know that there is a God, that he is sovereign, and he is all-powerful. He is the creator, and he reveals it to us. And yet, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. And therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why is that? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creatures rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Jesus said much the same thing in the verses following John 3.16. We know John 3.16, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. But look at what verse 17 and following says. For God uh, did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through Him. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The life has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. This is who we are. This is who we are apart from Christ. We are cursed. It goes on to say in verse 36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. There's a curse on all the creatures who have blasphemed and rebelled, disobeyed and dishonored the great Creator. And that curse is well-deserved. It's well-deserved. The wrath rightfully rests on us, and yet, in the most gracious act in all history, God saves His people. We know what Isaiah 53 says. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we received him, esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid upon him the iniquity of us all. What a great example of our redemption. The price that we owed, he paid on the cross. Christ redeemed us by becoming a curse for us. And in such a great thing he says here, so that in Christ Jesus, 3.14, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. He became a curse so that you and I could receive the spirit of holiness within us. What a great transaction. Think about this. What a great transaction. We went from being sinners to being saints. He made us sons and daughters. He gave himself for us. What a great example. The second great example this morning is not just about the substitution, but it's about becoming a son and daughter. Think about this, because it says in verse 7 or verse 4 of chapter 4, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Look what it says, so that we might receive adoption as sons. We couldn't have a family apart from God at work. He had to pay the price so that we could become his children. He had to do that in order for us to receive this gift. In this passage, it's fantastic, right? It says this, it says, when the fullness of time had come, and for me, I, I, I think of, of Michael and, and Priscilla as they waited for this schedule, as they waited for that call, 
as they waited for whatever the paperwork to happen and whatever the, the prices, as they waited and they waited and they waited and month after month and then year after year and they knew it was getting closer because they would keep getting updates but they had to do one more thing and one more thing and, and it was just this, this whole idea of expectation but when the fullness of time had come, boom, got their tickets, they were gone. It's amazing. And this is the picture that we have here. But when the fullness of time had come, when the time had filled up, when God's plan came to fruition, when God's decree and His sovereign working out in history had come to the point where He knew this was the moment, when that time had happened, boom, boom. Christians... For us, this is such a great truth. I mean, when we think about church history, we think about the fullness of time that actually looked like God came forth in a time when, when there was one language that was common for everybody. When God's message of the New Testament came out and the Koine, the Koine Greek was right there, it was universal, it was spread in all the settled areas so that when God's message went out, it was able to go out quickly and fast. Roads united the entire kingdom from the ports and the cities there was so much connectivity when Jesus Christ's gospel came that his message was able to get to the whole world. The Roman army kept the peace so that they were able to travel and the missionaries were able to go forth. When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son into this one historic moment in history. What a great gospel. All to make us sons and daughters. All to redeem us. The fullness of time had come. It says that when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son. It doesn't say He created His Son. It doesn't say He brought His Son about. It says that He sent the Son. What a great truth. This Son who has existed for all eternity. This Son who has reigned with His Father. This Son who has created. This Son who has sustained. This Son who has spoken. This Son who has walked and talked has now come to us the very Son of the Almighty God. And now the time had come for Him to descend into His creation. When the fullness of God's time had come, He sent forth His Son. Born of a woman. Born under the law. A real historic being who lived, who walked and talked, who ate and drank, who cried and slept. Real man. For one reason. Look what it says. God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. Oh, what a truth. Oh, what a truth. Behind the scenes, unbeknownst to us, He has done the work to adopt us to make us sons and daughters, to redeem those who are under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. As we close today, I, I want us to think about the glorious grace and mercy of this. Christians, we are not our own. We are His. I have 11 children. I mentioned that. 
When I first started letting my kids go do other things, like three or four months ago, <laughs> that's hard. You know what I'm talking about. It's hard when you, oh, whatever. What do you do when they're out? I mean, man, I don't want, I don't want everybody knowing our dirty laundry, right? I don't want everybody knowing that my kids aren't perfect, right? You know, and it reflects on my job. But I remember, I remember something I, I've been telling them from day one. I said, hey, when you leave, I just don't want you to forget whose child you are. I don't want you to forget whose child you are. And what I mean by that is, there's a lot of history between me and you. <laughs> and you know I've walked with you and I allow you to do certain things and I don't allow you to do other things. And you know it's for your best. And you know that I've provided for you and you know that, that there's this, this relationship that we have. And, and when you go out with your friends and when you get caught up and distracted and, and when things start to come upon you or maybe you get worried or anxious or concerned, I don't want you to forget whose child you are. I don't want you to forget whose child you are. Verse six, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our heart crying, Abba, Father, helping us to remember whose children we are, where we live, where we work, where we relate, where we worship, where we hang out, everywhere. We have this spirit within us because we are his children. And let's not forget whose children we are. Let us be active in remembering this. I tried to figure out how to tie this up because I still had two more messages <laughs> And so, um, I'm, everyone's concerned now because I told you I had to leave, but I'm going to talk two more messages. <laughs> Look at what it says in verse 7 as we close. So, you are no longer a slave, but a son or daughter, and as a son, then an heir through God. He didn't just make us free to leave us alone. He didn't just make us right to live by ourselves, and he didn't make us sons to simply walk through life. He purchased us for his own. And this morning, I want us to recognize that God has provided a way for us to be made free. And like I said yesterday, there's two kinds of people in this room. Some of you are still in bondage. Some of you have not been made right with God. Man, I remember talking to a guy who was on his deathbed, and he said, you know, God and I are okay. You know, we're all right. And I was like, well, how'd that happen? And he said, well, you know, I mean, God is, he is loving and kind and gracious and everything. And, and you know, he'll just, he, it's not going to be that bad. And I said, oh, he is loving and gracious and kind, and you have lived your entire 73 years rejecting every bit of his goodness and his grace, and you've lived for yourself, and you've been on the throne of your own life, and you've rejected him, and you have not believed him, and you have, you've blasphemed this great, loving, kind God, and you think in the end you're going to be okay? He said, well, I said, Where, where's your family at? Where are they? How come they're not here? And he said, oh, they all hate me. They're the worst, and he's, they do this to me, and they do this to me, and they do this to me, and they do this to me. And I was, like, I was like, man, you think God 
is going to feel any different than even you do when, when your fallen children have blasphemed you and, 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 and you're going to hold them accountable? Think about the reality of what you're saying here today. Somebody in this room is lost. Somebody in this room has been living in, in bondage and loving it. I want to challenge you to come to Christ. I'm going to challenge you to repent and get over yourself today. Because if you don't, the opposite of what we're talking about will be true for you. You are under a curse. And you can't escape it. You are going to pay for your sins. You are going to have to bear this burden. When you stand before the awful judge, when you stand before this this amazingly righteous being, you'll have to stand on your own merit. And I can't imagine how terrible that would be. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And so this morning, I want to present to you Jesus Christ, the one who will forgive you. He will give you a new heart and he will bring you into his family so that where he is, you will also be. That's the gospel today. And my friend, I ask you just to call on Christ. It's that simple. It's that simple. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life. Won't you just repent? Confess your sins to him. Nobody else, just to him. And you will be saved. You will be made free. You will be made right. You will be made a child of God. Christians, this morning for you and I, there are so many more applications in the book of Galatians. There are so many, and I encourage you to read chapter 5 and 6. In chapter 5, verse 1, the application is for us to stand firm and not to submit again to the yoke of slavery. Christians, it's to not use our freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love to serve each other. Because we're now His children, we can walk in step with the Spirit. Because that we've been made free, we can restore the transgressors. We can forgive. We can bear one another's burdens. We can test our works. We keep our eyes on Christ. Because of whose children we are, we have this relationship with the Almighty Creator to share all things, to not be deceived, to sow to the Spirit, to not grow weary, to do good to everyone because we are no longer our own. We've been bought. We're slaves of God now. And it's a fantastic truth. We've been adopted. Let's look to the one who delivered, justified, and redeemed. And let's live our lives in faith, trusting in Jesus Christ and all his promises. Let's pray. Good Lord Jesus, thank you for your work. And without you, we are helpless and hopeless. And I'd ask that you'd live in us and through us so that our families would see and know that you are the one. So that our community would understand that there is a God. There is a standard. There is righteousness. There is a judgment. But there's also a way. And that no one comes to the Father except through that way. Christ, I ask that you'd work in us to know that truth and proclaim it for your glory's sake today. Amen.